Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am so thrilled that you are here. I am your host, Amanda Joy Loveland. And I am so excited about, well, a few things. One, my book is at the editor as we speak and will be coming to print here soon. And this is a guidebook for those of you that have left religion and just a guidebook to knowing where to go next. Like, how do I find my spiritual center? What even is that? My book is going to be something that you will love. And I'm also really, really excited. I have a speaker symposium coming up April 24th here in Highland, Utah. This is an in-person event only. And we are gathering some beautiful speakers that I'm really honored to share space with. If you are looking for more tools and more guidance and more just learning where you can just eat up knowledge and eat up wisdom from others come grab a ticket spend the day with us it's from 10 to 6 p.m lunch is included and the tickets are 149 dollars for the day so extremely affordable and this is an event that i really really want to sell out as this is my first event and i really want to grow these i want to start doing more and more you know spaces where we can gather and and teach and learn from each other and really encourage each other to grow into those beautiful spaces and lean in. So head over to my website, amandajoyloveland.com forward slash lean in to snag your ticket today. And I also have another retreat coming up in May, May 12th through the 15th. And this is for my writers. Where are my writers? I know that you're out there. And if you were like me, I had a book within me for years, but I did not think I was a writer. I didn't know where to start. I didn't know how to begin. Or maybe you've already started, but you're not quite sure how to pull it all together. Regardless where you are in that path, this retreat is for you. I'm co-facilitating this with my beautiful publisher, Kira Polson, who is so gifted, so wise, and has so much wisdom. And together we will be assisting you in how to spiritually create and write your book and how to move through those places within you. Often it's the healing that actually we get to do with our books, that when we heal those places within, the books come through and come more in flow and ease and grace. So if you're feeling the call, we're just starting to advertise this retreat. I know this one will sell out. Head over to my website, amandajoyloveland.com and go to the retreats tab. You will see the retreat underneath that, that link there. And without further ado, let's dive into the interview with my next guest that was just truly, truly stunning. And so I'm really excited to share this space with the beautiful Anna Ship. Well, welcome. I am so excited to be sitting here with Anna Ship. And you and I have just kind of gotten to know each other over social media. And actually, we're trying to connect in person. And then life is just life. And so it's like, okay, do you want to come be on my podcast? Because then we can kill two birds with one stone and get to know each other a little bit better and then have you share your wisdom here. Well, thank you. So I'm excited you're here. Thank you for having me here. Like I, yeah, this has been something that I've been watching your posts, watching, you know, listening in on some of these podcasts that you've shared and hearing other people's stories and just hearing, you know, the way that it's all acceptable and the way that it's all lovable. Like Mm -hmm. I wanted to get to know you for very similar reasons. Like I just love what you share. And ironically, we have lots in common. Like we both lived in Germany. We both have like military ties. Now I do. You had it in the past and still Mm -hmm. do because your kid's dad is military. And, you know, you're sitting here commenting that I have a lot of the same books that are on my bookshelf. So I'm like, I'm not surprised. (laughs) Because Anyway, just fun. It's fun when we get to connect with like-minded you know, and this speaks a little bit because one of the biggest, I just finished writing my Leaving Religion book 
Yay. Yay. <laughs> and one of the things, you know, as you go through when people are leaving is that community aspect mm-hmm. that it's like this interesting double-edged sword because you're so tired of the community. A lot of times people are tired of the community that's held within religion. And then they leave and it's like, crap, now where's my community? Right. And it's like, well, you just have to start looking and being open to it because then things like this happen where it's yes. through social media and you're like, oh, hey, friends let's, get, friends. Yeah, let's go get to know each other. And then you just start building new new connections. I feel like my circles are constantly changing because of that. Yes, I agree. Yeah. I feel like that's been my experience as well. Yeah. So you grew up in New Mexico? I did. Were you, did you grow up Mormon? Um, yes. Well, yes. So I was um, adopted when I was nine. Mm. And wow. then that's later. So yeah. So my, my birth mom and my adopted mom are first cousins. Oh. So when my birth mom died, um, my mom's, her cousin is my mom now. <laughs> that's actually so, really sweet. Was that yeah. hard for you though at nine years old? Um, yeah. I can imagine. Yeah, it was and and you know, like I really struggled to bond. I really struggled to yeah. um to feel a connection. I I think that there was a big part of me that felt like I would be betraying my mom mm. if I allowed myself to loved another feel close. As a mom. Yeah. Yeah. And um and then it wasn't until I was in therapy like years later, like when I was in my thirties that I, you know, crying to my therapist and saying, oh, like I, you know, didn't have this bond with my mom. She's like, well, you wouldn't, you were too old. And I was like, oh, but my sister did. And she was like, well, she was a little bit younger. And she was like, but yeah, like nine years old, that's, you know, that's kind of older. You're over that first Mm -hmm. period of um, where all the bonding usually happens. Mm -hmm. And so she was like, so that would be a natural struggle. And it was the first time it felt normalized, like, oh, it's actually okay. Like, I'm not abnormal for this, where I thought that, like, something was seriously wrong with me or that I was unlovable or, you know, Mm. in some way, flawed in some fundamental way that I could never bond with my... All it takes is one person saying, well, actually, that's really normal. And you're you're not weird. And nothing's wrong with you. Exactly. You're like, oh, oh, even though I'm in my 30s. Yes, I finally (laughs) figured that out. It's freeing. (laughs) I had an experience with that, with a therapist. And I, gosh, I had done so much work. And I was revisiting... The first, the first boy that I ever loved, we were going to, we were going to get engaged or get married. Anyway, went through a lot of trauma and I'm someone that I take full accountability for my choices. And yet there's this fine line between, yes, I'm taking full accountability and this, this happened to me, right? Mm -hmm. And my dad, my beautiful father who did the best with what he could with what he knew at the time, um, like that wasn't a boy he wanted me to be with. And so he had done some things that ultimately led to me breaking off the engagement. But, and I, I was taking accountability with that. And she goes, your brain, your frontal cortex, where all the relationship centers is not even formed. So of course you'd lean on your dad because I thought I had this huge, Mm. like I betrayed myself and not doing these things. And she's like, well, until you're, what is it, 25, I think, is when right. it's fully developed, the prefrontal cortex, and that's where the relationship center is. And it was this, oh, logically, like, for some, we're funny like that. It's we're, like a sigh. You're like, oh, okay. I'm not just retarded and <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> trying to blow up my life. That's exactly. I, you know, and that's, that's part of, been part of my journey to, to step into full accountability yeah. and what it means to be 100% accountable for your life. Mm-hmm. And 
recognizing that those subconscious patterns and like the way that we develop and like what I know now of the mind now mm-hmm. that I had no clue back then. Right. You know, like, you know, something my husband always tells me, you can't judge past you based on the knowledge that you have now. Yeah. Like, and mm-hmm. he's, because I, I am really hard on myself sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think I've always just been really hard on myself. And so that's, that was one of the things that like, yeah, finding that balance of this event took place and, you know, you know, as, like with my parents and, and bonding, mm-hmm. you can't meet needs that you're not aware of. Yeah. And, you know, and they had no idea the depth of my needs. They had no idea the depth of the abuse that I had experienced before that. Mm. So like you're they coming into this provided the very best they could. Uh. Yeah. And it there was no part of it that was oh, I'm going to hurt her and like mm-hmm. make life harder for her. Right. You know, there, and I can recognize that now, um, you know, but at Back that time then. or when you're trying to take accountability for things, you're like, oh. and you're nine, you're nine. <laughs> so where, where was your dad, your birth dad? So, um, so that's another interesting part of the puzzle is, yeah. so he came back for the funeral to take us, but my, my mom's family, so he was from Mexico. Okay. And so my mom's family was like, you know, he's going to take them to Mexico because, mm. and I found out later, you know, just a few years ago, I met him. He was pretty much homeless at that time. He didn't oh, wow. have a place for us. Um, and so his only option really would have been to take us to Mexico. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I think the choice was if they're going to be with a grandma, they might as well be with a grandma that they know. So right. they hid me and my sister away uh, when he came looking for us. Really? And he went searching asked all the neighbors and nobody would give him any information. Wow. And so, so know, he hadn't been in your life. He hadn't. Well, they were like off and on okay. together. Your parents. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, and he like, they got divorced like right after my sister was born. Um, I think they were convinced that like by other family members that my mom could get better um, government assistance if they weren't oh. married. So they got divorced and stayed together for a while. But, mm. you know, when things got hard and you're not actually married anymore, yeah. Pfft, so, yeah. you know, it's really easy to split. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think that that's what I understand. That's what happened mm. is things got hard. How interesting. So they were like, it was a very chaotic, never really stayed in one place for very long. Um, back and forth between California, New Mexico, Mexico. Mm. and And so there was a lot of... Um, instability mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. and so he really like he was in and out of our lives and so like we knew him we loved him but like we really weren't he, he wasn't a, a constant presence right. in our lives yeah so when he didn't come get us like um you know like i think that there was a part of me that knew that he still loved me but also knew he didn't come get us, yeah. you know? And so um, my family never really said, oh, he didn't want you mm-hmm. or anything like that. I don't think they ever really lied about that, but I think that's something that I inferred Yeah, was that he didn't, you know, want me. He didn't, mm. he didn't want well, us. Well, naturally, you know? that's and what, so, yeah. But there, but I learned later that there was a lot of dynamics there, a lot of like, Sounds like it. protecting us to keep us in the United States keep us where we would be protected. Um, yeah. And 
So now I can totally, after having met him and having met some of his family and seeing their lifestyle and seeing like, can recognize the complete blessing that it happened the way that it did. Yeah. Um, but it did open this whole thing and a reality that I didn't realize until in my 30s mm-hmm. that I had lost both my parents at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I always figured like, and, and sort of held that space for that my mom was gone. Yeah. And that, but I never really, like, it wasn't a conscious thing of knowing, oh, I lost both my parents. Right. You know, and so... Mm. Like holding the impact of that later was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> you know? Oh. Oh. So like all of that. And then there was sexual abuse before I was adopted mm. and after, like, but mm. from the original family. And um, you know, like all of that set the stage for yeah. so much like difficulties, like mm-hmm. that I internalized as me being flawed. Right. You know, yeah. Unfortunately, that's what happens, especially when you're so young. Everything. Mm-hmm. That's the irony, right? We're talking in our now we're adults and like, okay, where can I take radical accountability for how I'm showing up in my world and what's being reflected back? And yeah, as a kid, that is what we naturally do. How is this right. my fault? But it's more of that. Um, I feel like in the state that I'm in now, and I would think that this is the same for you, it's more what needs to be seen and what needs to be looked at and a little bit with more compassion. Yes. And what's the lesson here so that I can clear it and move forward or shift the thinking or shift the pattern, whatever it is. As kids, it's like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me that I keep it? You know, it is like this very personalized, but in a uh not as healthy <laughs> yes very negative yeah very uh, negative way so did you, so you grew up mormon with with your I adopted did. family mm-hmm. so they had just joined the church like five years before oh, they adopted interesting. us so how was that um you know it was good good honestly like the church was like and the mormon church of, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um it was kind of a surrogate mother for me where um where I struggled to feel like I fit in with my family mm-hmm. and and feel like I belonged with my family, church was an immediate home. Yeah, you know, and I was Catholic before that. Like I'd taken my first Holy Communion mm-hmm. and gone through catechism and um, and I knew the prayers. You know, I mm-hmm. all all those things that like so I I felt like I had a connection to God. You know, and I always felt close to Jesus, mm-hmm. and so. Um, you know, the first couple of Sundays that we were at church, it was really uncomfortable. It was very unfamiliar. Mm. Didn't know anything. But then they sing how great that word, mm. you know, and my granny sing that all the time as a Catholic, you know, and it's just very Christian hymn. And so yeah. like, that's where I found my home, mm. you know, and people loved me. You know, they accepted me, um, had good friends, and where, you know, some people turn to cope with, you know, sexual abuse and stuff. They'll turn to drugs. They'll turn to um, alcohol. They'll turn to promiscuity mm-hmm. and stuff. Like, I turned to purity, mm-hmm. and it gave me such a blanket to mm-hmm. to cope with this that, like, I could, you know, get rid of all this pain, that, that I could get rid of the shame of all this stuff that happened to me. Um, you know, and so like, and it, it was a very warm blanket as a youth, Hmm. like growing up, like it, it was my safe place. It was my safe haven. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I was older that I started to see there's 
flaws in this system. Yeah. You know, that they, it, not everything I internalized it to be, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and where I had internalized it to be where, um, you know, your bishop is Jesus Christ himself, mm-hmm. you know, incarnate right here, God. the representative, <laughs> you know, and uh, the all these people that they love you no matter what, you know, there's never any judgment. And like, and I had like such a pure experience with the church yeah. um, growing up as a youth. Like my friends group was amazing. I had the best support. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was all New Mexico? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. yeah. And... Like, really, like, when you think of the ideas of Zion, you know, like, that was it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we, like, just were really a tight-knit group. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, but there was a lot of us, too. And and so I remember, like, that being, um, I always looked forward to going to church. Yeah. And, like, I loved the scriptures. I loved having a testimony. I loved bearing my testimony. You know, like... I mean, I embodied um, everything about the church, mm. took it in, imbibed it all, like yeah. everything. And it it was my warm blanket. Mm. And so that was, um, I have like really good memories. And so that's one of the things that like, I feel like helps me remain friendly with the church right now. Yeah. Whereas there was one point, I had a period where I could have walked away and I would have been so angry and in danger of becoming really bitter. Mm. Um, but Buddhism <laughs> really pushed me back. Oh, how interesting. Yeah. What happened? I'm, do you mind sharing? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I, I didn't have any problems with the church really until like much later. And it wasn't until my marriage was imploding. Mm-hmm. Like I, my first marriage, I found out on my wedding night that I was a rebound and I didn't have the courage to ask him about it. Until like a week later after the honeymoon was over and asked him, you know, like, are you still in love with your ex-fiance? And he was like, well, I don't want to be. Oh, boy. And, and which was... Not the answer you want to hear. And, but I had such a laser view on eternity. Yeah. Locked and loaded. I'm going there. You know, like we are going to have everything gets worked out. Eternity solves every problem. It can solve this one, you know? And so I like had so much faith in that. Yeah. Um, but for 14 years, I I was hustling to become the number one woman. I never became his num- number one woman. And so as that was imploding. That's a um, long time. What's that? That's a long time to be hustling to be. It is. The number one woman in your partner's life. And it, but that's how deeply internalized I had this belief. And I had this hope that. Eventually, it started to create this prison. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that I, and and it wasn't until I started to see that like I was stuck, and that mm-hmm. I and I started to feel like this belief isn't helping. This belief is actually creating a lot of pain mm-hmm. for me. Um, we got divorced, and uh, you know, priesthood leadership at that time um, was not great. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, I had a bishop that, like, I can guarantee he never sat there as a young man and ever said, I want to be a bishop one day. Mm. Like, you can just <laughs> tell that was not his aspiration, Yeah, you know, and um, and not because he wasn't kind or anything, but he just, um, 
I think, struggled in the interpersonal. Oh. You know? And mm-hmm. so, and his approach was, like, I don't feel like I can help. So I'm just going to make it worse if I say anything. So just ignore it. And so so then I went, you know, to stake president and stake president was like, well, are you perfect? You know, like, and I mean, there were some significant things going on. Like, I mean, there was sexual assault. There was mm. infidelities. There was, you know, active addictions and things that were really, really painful. And I was having a really hard time um, reconciling how it fit within the gospel and how it fit within worthiness, how it fit within um, the eternal family unit, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I, and I was having so much trouble with that. um, That like, I lost all respect for priesthood leaders. Yeah. And I was like, never again, I will never talk to a priesthood leader again. I will never ask them for help. I will never like rely on them ever again. Mm-hmm. Of course, that wasn't true. I Next bishop I tried talking to, next bishop I tried talking to. You know, and the next two actually were really good guys. Oh, and um, they were very kind. Um, but it was between the first bishop and the second good bishop that, like, I was ready to walk away. Yeah. And, and I had this little book come up on my Facebook thing that said how to love. And it was by Thich Nhat Hanh. Uh-huh. And, um, and I was like, and I saw that and I was like, well, that's interesting, yeah. you know? And, and I was just at this point of in the middle of my divorce thinking like, do I even know what love is? Mm-hmm. Like, is love even a thing? Like, mm-hmm. does it even exist? You know, like maybe I have it all wrong. And, um, so I started, seeing this book come up again and again in my feed. Mm. And I was like, okay, I'll take the bite, you know? And so I bought it, tiny little pocketbook. And I just bawled because the Zen master was describing the love I was experiencing from God. Mm. That was completely different than what I had experienced from church, where like I was starting to really pull away. And as I was pulling away to get myself healthier, I would have all these leaders or friends be like, be careful that you're not being deceived, mm. you know, because I was setting boundaries. I was recognizing, you know, going to therapy and getting educated. You were having educated. behaviors. And, uh-huh. oh. and I was getting educated on cognitive dissonance yeah. and all of the different um, cognitive distortions and, you know, things like that and starting to see them in the way the gospel was taught, yeah. starting to see them show up in the way that we treated each other for being different mm-hmm. or not towing the line of the gospel. And, and it started to like shift things for me. And, um, so I'm dealing with all of that. And then, um, and I reached this point where I was like, why would I stay here? Mm-hmm. Like there's all these distortions all over the place, black and white fallacy everywhere. Um, and I, you know, like was really pulling back my authority to myself and, and starting to get clear that like, no, my connection with God is preeminent above anybody else's mm-hmm. counsel, above anybody else's. And, um, and I started like, if I started vocalizing that, then it, be careful. You don't want to outdo the, you can't, you don't want to, um, suggest that you know more than the prophet does. It's like, well, no, but I know more for me. Yeah. You know, and, and so coming into that space, I started studying Buddhism and, and I went to my first meditation center and Mm. like what I had always recognized as the spirit, my whole body was filled with it. 
Mm-hmm. Every hair was standing on end. I was warm. I was filled mm-hmm. with this energy and I just felt so at home. Mm-hmm. And again, I cried because I was like, this is not where I have always yeah. felt at home. And where I had what always had been a warm blanket wasn't feeling like a warm blanket anymore. Yeah. And um, so as I started studying Buddhism, one of the concepts is that if you feel hurt by someone or something, um, you know, the first response is to walk away from them or to, you know, be angry and blame mm-hmm. them. But what you should really do is go back to them for the comfort that you actually were seeking from them. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, you know, if that's true for relationships, maybe I need to try this with the church. Mm-hmm. So I went back and um, had a really kind bishop. Mm-hmm. And really kind stake president. And it was at that point that I realized, oh, okay, I can still have my autonomy. Mm-hmm. There can still be really good people. And I can still know this is just not my place anymore. Yeah, And it's just not where I find like my connection to God in in the place that worked for me, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And and I feel like I really needed that bishop and that stake president to be as kind and loving as they were to me, to help me recognize I don't have to, like, be angry. Like, I can just know, like, just not working for me. Yeah. And I don't have to fight against it. I don't have to try to tear it down. Mm-hmm. Um, I can remain a, friends with it. Yeah, that is an know? interesting... Uh, distinction that you're making there, because I think that is natural, that normally we walk away because we are angry. And it, and it's interesting because even, I mean, when I left, that was kind of the thing that people, mm-hmm. my family would say to me, well, who, who upset you, you know, because yeah. that's just, you know, and, and that was kind of their understanding of that must be why I left. Right. Or to what you were saying, you know, with how that's natural for people to walk away from a relationship when you're upset. Instead of like, oh, no, actually, this just, this isn't, I don't believe this anymore. Yeah. And and that's why I'm leaving. This just isn't my place. Exactly. And like, go back and receive the comfort to resolve the pain. Mm -hmm. And then just make a decision from that point. Yeah. You know, and that is where true, that true inspiration, that true intuition comes in when it is from that peaceful, calm place. Yes. You know, as you're talking about the spirit coming in in a place that was, wait a second, you know, a little different than what you had experienced. When I was, I think I was 20, I had gone on a date with a guy that I had met on, met on, I don't know what dating site it was. And he took me up to this monk monastery up in Ogden Canyon. They like, they harvest bees and honey or harvest honey with bees. And we went and listened to them chant. In this beautiful temple that I had no idea it existed up there. Wow. I'm sure it still exists to this day. I've never been back since. And I stood in there and I felt the same thing. Like, or we were sitting there and it was like, I was so overcome with feeling the spirit, what I knew as the spirit. It was so confusing to me. Yes. I'm like, how can I be sitting here with these at this monastery listening to these, you know? And then I had to kind of rationalize and make sense of it and fit it into my Mormon beliefs because I right. stayed Mormon for a little while. But mm-hmm. that was one of those things of, wait a second, because we associate that with Mormon religion. Exactly. Like it, it has a monopoly on that feeling mm-hmm. and a monopoly on like where you can get it. Yeah. In reality, it's just truth. It's just exactly. our soul going, yes, this is true. This is beautiful. This is, you know, the spirit. Exactly. Whatever that looks like. But and so you decided at that point, you decided you were done. Um, not quite. Yeah. So it took, a, I mean, the 
I mean, the pull of community, right. the pull of familiarity, you know, it took me a while. Um, I think, you know, I, I started to feel like, how can I do this that respects both um, the church and me? Like, mm-hmm. because I didn't want to, like, separate in a way where I felt like, um, you know, I needed to announce it or mm-hmm. anything, you know, like, and, or, and, and one of the things I recognized right off the bat was that, like, I, I didn't feel like the garments were, um, they didn't have the same meaning for me yeah. anymore. And, and I recognized I was only wearing them out of habit, which I think that if you make a promise and I, and I believe in the power of a promise mm-hmm. and making covenants, like, um, I don't, and, and here's the thing, like, there's so many things I still fully believe, um, but just in a very universal way now. Yeah. Like, like my path took me where it's like, if something is true and, and then it will be unchanging and unconditionally applicable to everybody mm-hmm. all at the same time, regardless of their awareness of it, like mm-hmm. gravity. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to have a huge awareness of it. Mm-hmm. You don't have to study its principles to understand that it affects you and applies to you. Right. You know, and, um, and as Which I started, by that definition, then God in the, you know what I mean? When you start applying God, this concept of God in that definition, it's like, wait a second. Exactly. Well, and that's the thing, like, and because huge pieces of my testimony were like taking big hits, like, yeah. um, why wasn't God doing anything about men who were being unfaithful to their wives and still being able to serve in the temple? Mm. You know, why wasn't God doing anything about, um, these huge betrayals mm-hmm. and, for a sin that's next to murder. Right. You know, like, and so that was one of the things I was like, does God really care? And, you know, and so some of these questions, like I started like really piecing out. I was like, I don't think he cares. I think we care. Mm -hmm. I think we have our labels and our definitions over these things. But I think, you know, I don't think God's turning anyone away who, who's seeking him, Mm -hmm. you know, if, if he's a personified being, Mm -hmm. Um, and, and God is love. And that was another thing that like my daughter was really concerned about what happened to us now as a family. And when I got my ceiling cancellation letter, the, the letter said that my kids still had to qualify for being sealed to me and their dad. And that just sort of rubbed me the wrong way. I was like, um, they had absolutely zero part in this, right? (laughs) you know, like, and, and it was part of that thing where I was like, you know, if God is love, if that's if that's a true doctrine that God is love, then whoever love is, God is too. Mm-hmm. And if I love my children and I choose them, no matter what, then I believe God's going to be there too. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I so the best answer I could give my daughter is like, I, there was no way I was going to read that to her right. and tell her, well, you have to now hustle for it. Like, you now have to live your life so that you can stay sealed to me and your dad. And for me, that just, like, I couldn't hold yeah. that. And so I just told her, I was like, you know what? I believe in agency. Mm-hmm. I believe that that where God is, that love is there. Mm-hmm. And I choose you no matter what. I don't care what happens in this life. I don't mm-hmm. care what anybody chooses. I don't care if anybody stays in the church or doesn't stay in the church. And my mom actually gave me just, I don't want to say it's a freedom 
But I guess it is a freedom. Mm -hmm. When my daughter was 11 and she was really pushing back against the church, she was really angry at God that he didn't, you know, save our marriage. Mm -hmm. And um, she was really angry that um, the divorce had actually happened. And I was talking to my mom about it. I was like, you know, I'm so worried about her. Like, and this is when I'm still very Mormon at this point. And um, I... I was like, I'm, I'm so worried about her. Like, I'm so worried about her future. Like, you know, if she's angry at God, she's not going to get the support she needs and, you mm-hmm. know, all these things. And and my mom just looked at me and she was like, well, Anna, do you believe that God's work never fails? I said, yeah. And she was like, well, the scripture says that it's God's work and glory to bring to pass, you know, our mm-hmm. eternal life. She was like, that's not our work. Our work is to love. Mm -hmm. And she was like, if you believe that God's work never fails and you believe that she's on God's work table, then you don't have to worry about where she's at because she's never lost to God. Mm -hmm. And that to me, like, um, I will say gave me permission to let the journey unfold. And that was what sort of gave me permission to like, and, and also my Bishop just was so kind and loving and, so like, you know, and I was so worried about not having my temple recommend because, you know, it would have been the first time that I didn't have my temple recommend. Mm-hmm. And I um, I was struggling to pay my tithing at the time mm-hmm. because it was tied to my ex-husband because that was the only money I was getting at that moment, mm. you know, and I was like, no, my eternity cannot be tied to him <laughs> for one more second. I cannot have any part of my salvation dependent on him. Right. And so I wasn't paying it because I like, I was so confused. There was so much like of this dissonance of having to still be connected. Yeah. And, um, and I, and I remember crying about like not being able to, you know, have a recommend. And, and I remember him just being like, you know, it's okay if you don't. You know, it's okay if you, if it takes a long time, you know, and it, and it's sort of like was the first person in the church to give permission to have the journey mm-hmm. to, I mean, at least to open me up to the idea right. that it's okay to have a journey, Yeah, you know, and, and I think I really actually needed that to come from within the church mm-hmm. because I think that, um, like it just made all of it okay. Like my journey within the church, okay. My journey without the church, okay. Yeah. Like all of it gave permission that all of it is on God's work table, mm. whether I'm in an institution or I'm out in the wilderness, mm-hmm. you know, like God has me. There's no space he doesn't take up yeah. and there's no space he's not aware of. And so um, those two together sort of gave me permission to allow the pieces to fall mm. so I could start picking up. And mm-hmm. for me, if truth is like, if it's not um, unconditional and universally applicable to everybody, I can't call it truth. Yeah. And so for me, that's where I'm at. So I do still believe in the priesthood, but I believe everybody has the power to act. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody has has the power to act with the elements. Mm-hmm. Everybody has that power to command, um, yeah. you know, the universal energy that's mm-hmm. in motion, in constant motion. We mm-hmm. all have access to that. Um, so I don't believe that it's just for men or just for men within the church. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I believe it's everybody, even a small child mm-hmm. can claim that power. Mm-hmm. And so um, I feel like, you know, your marriage, like if the sealing ordinance is about offering the promise, then uh, 
it's the daily choices that we make with our partners that Mm -hmm. bind us together or not. And so like that power, the covenant, I believe that it's there to awaken us to the idea of an eternal principle that what we put together can stay together, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And I feel like that that's a truth Mm -hmm. and, but it's true for everyone. Mm -hmm. And it's not just, there's not just one place Mm -hmm. or one way to get there, Mm -hmm. you know? And so like, there's a lot of things that I still very much believe, um, but in a very universal yeah. Way. Yeah. You know? And so. Oh, I love all that. Have you ever listened to the Christ letters? No, but Angie recommended those. Yeah. Actually, I think that's who so. re- recommended it to me too. Yeah. And I, I think. You need to start them. She had, and I've shared a little bit of this on, with my story, but for me, when I left religion, God died. Like that Mormon version of God just, mm. he was gone. And with it, like the foundation of everything, I remember sitting in my bedroom at the time, just looking outside and nothing had substance to it anymore. And it was like the weirdest feeling. And then I just sat with that, okay, source. I can identify with source. Every time I saw God, instead of it triggering me, because it used to trigger, you know, I'd replace it with source, spirit. And it took me a little bit to get to that. And so I just kind of made my peace with that for a while. And then when this podcast came up on the book, um, I had different experiences of like, okay, now you get to go re- revisit what God is. Mm-hmm. And I was scared, actually. I was not, no, I didn't know if I wanted to go ask that question for myself. And I think around that time, Angie and I were having a conversation. I can't quite remember. So I started listening to the Christ letters. And the Christ letters essentially are saying that, A, if God is unconditional, right? Mm-hmm. Then that means these things that we put on him are complete, and him, you know, we say him, but that's yeah, just we don't know <laughs> right is really ironic and hypocritical because an unconditional love would you know does not mean well this area of the world i'm going to create a tsunami and this area of the world i'm going to create a hurricane and right. earthquakes and the tumultuous it's not god right and in this it talks about how actually it goes into science and goes into um the quantum realm mm. and how us as humans as a species actually will create the own calamity in that world wherever that is so interesting you know say we're in utah and we all are love and light and harmony well we're probably going to have balance then in the land versus mm. somewhere else that may have a lot of fighting and and war and sense. anger then it would bring that up within the planet and that location to have fires or have floods or have, and to me that may that makes that sense, makes so much especially sense. with the yes. holdings that I have now and and you know and then later I actually sat in meditation I'm like all right what is God you know show yes. show yourself and and what came through for me was this ball of energy essentially I mean it was faceless and nameless and genderless and and I think that's part of the thing too at least. For me, like with my clients, if there's some sort of a piece they need to make with mm-hmm. some aspect or some person, usually I'll guide them to a meditation to where they can pop that part out and have a conversation, right? Because the mind, mm-hmm. if I can identify and actually I know I can speak English with this person and I can ask a question, then I'll get an answer. Yes. But if there's a blobless form that I don't even know what it looks like. Exactly. How so do nebulous. I, yeah. How do I, you know, and, and there's some of me that's still working with that. So I notice yep. I work more with Christ than I do with God. And oh, that's okay. a whole other conversation. But 
Yeah. yeah God is, is such an, and there's so many types of gods and then so many filters in the way that people communicate to whatever exactly. their God is. And so it is so different yes. for every single one of us. Well, and that's one of the things that like, I feel like, um, you know, before I left the church, there was, you know, all this pressure to, to, you know, read the scriptures because that was President Monson's last testimony was to read the Book of Mormon. So read the Book of Mormon. And I couldn't, I felt so betrayed yeah. by all the promises that reading the Book of Mormon would save my marriage, that it would save my family. Mm. Um, and priesthood blessings mm-hmm. about like, if you read the Book of Mormon every day, like it will, you know, save your marriage and, you know, things like that. And, you know, didn't. I, right. We were, it's not going to. No. And we were like fabulous. I mean, many things about the church we weren't great at, yeah. um, but we were great at praying together. You know, and so, and, and which prayer was always, you know, that, that great, uh, binder, you yeah. know, the saver. And, and so like seeing all these things fail, you know, it, I wanted to be obedient. I still had that pressure to still be obedient and I couldn't pick up the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. I felt so betrayed. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt betrayed by the promises. I felt betrayed by the book itself. Um, and so I was like, no, not picking it up. And, and I felt like, well, you know, like if you want to just read the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John stay there, stay there for like two or three years. Um, just getting to know Christ's life, Mm -hmm. you know, and it was through Buddhism that I started, like, actually started questioning, like, well, who is Jesus, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, and started learning about, you know, the students who, you know, emulate the master, but don't look at what the master's doing with what he's doing. Like, you know, and, you know, there's that story of, um, you know, the, the teacher that took his students out on a hill one night. And so they were all watching him and very closely at what he did. And at one point he raised his finger and smiled. And so they all started, um, you know, changing their body position to to match him and to point and like make sure that their arms were pointing in the same way and to, you know, make sure that they, their face was, you know, at the same angle and, and whatnot. And, and one student looked at where the teacher was pointing and he smiled too. And, and so I think that there's this where I recognized for me that I think I had done the same thing where I had got so caught up in Jesus and the idea of Jesus and being inferior to Jesus, like unworthy mm-hmm. to He's like very much on a pedestal. Yes. Yeah. And um where I could, you know, like everything about Jesus just showed me how inferior and how like yeah. awful I was. You know, that I was not measuring up in any way. There was no way I was not coming out looking very Christ like. In my At least life. in the stories we've been told of who Jesus was. Exactly, of what we, what we think and, we know. Right. And um, and so it wasn't at, at that point like where I recognized, oh, like, am I looking where he pointed? And then I started reading from that perspective, and I started recognizing, like, he was never pointing the finger at himself. He mm-hmm. was always pointing it at God. Mm-hmm. And always, like, saying, look to the Father. 
kingdom of God is within, but, mm-hmm. you know, always look for God, look, look for the father. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it wasn't until I got in this place where one time I was just like, okay. And looking at God and I'm trying to like define my relationship with God, trying to define like what I'm actually observing in real time of what I think that God is showing me and what I'm actually observing versus everything that I've been taught about what God does and recognizing God's not striking anybody down mm-hmm. who's sinning. Mm-hmm. You know, God's not withholding any blessings from people who are sinning. Right. And um, we're all creating our reality. Yeah. <laughs> and so like I, you know, and that broke apart some things. And and then I started, you know, learning about, um, you know, the nature of eternal spirit that's always connected and that that's the reality Mm -hmm. and that this human life is the dream. Right. And, and there was just this click one day and I, I was coming home from doing some errands and I sat my driveway and I just cried Mm -hmm. because I was like, well, who is Christ to me? If I'm his equal, who is Christ to me? If he's not any different than me, Yeah, you know? And so like this whole thing just shattered of, because I felt the truth that, of our equality with mm-hmm. everybody. I mm-hmm. felt the truth of Buddha just being another person mm-hmm. walking his journey mm-hmm. and reaching this state of enlightenment of, and recognizing the connection that Jesus was living his life, mm-hmm. reached the state of enlightenment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Muhammad. And, you know, there's these three, it seems like three main gifts that they all displayed in walking their journey. And we are hung up on these three gifts. And really, I feel like they were all saying, follow me so that you can find your gift. Follow me to your genius. Follow me to this, you know. And where Jesus healed and served with his genius, you know, Buddha did stuff with the mind and Mm -hmm. correcting beliefs and recognizing the delusions of the mind. Muhammad, I mean, I don't know too much about that, but I know that it led him to to bow and sing praises, mm-hmm. you know, and they all did things in their own way. Yeah. And I feel like we've gotten so caught up on the things that they did that we lost what they were leading us to. Yeah. You know, and so that's where I feel like right now, like if Jesus were to walk in the room, you know, five years ago, I would have like hit the ground, <laughs> crying, bawling. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy, you yeah. know. Where now, if he were to walk in the room, I'd be like, he's my dude. Like, hey, like, have a seat. Come join exactly. us. Exactly. Let me pick your brain. Let's, yeah. you know, get to let's know each other. Let's have a conversation. Like, tell me, yeah, let's have a mastermind. Yeah. You know, like, I would I would feel like on the same level. And, and so there was this huge um, religious crash, yeah. I guess, of a recognizing my equality mm-hmm. with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel like it made me made me otherworldly mm. and but I didn't feel like it robbed him of his otherworldliness yeah. either you know like I it was just this equalizing force that and I feel like since I stepped back from worshiping Jesus that now I'm like actually able to digest some of his words in ways that like I never would have the yeah. ways that are like actually changing me mm-hmm. changing the way I relate to other people mm-hmm. and the way that I 
see unmet needs instead of people trying to harm me. Mm-hmm. Um, That's all so beautiful. And what the saying that keeps coming to my mind is as above, so below, as within, so without, right? Yes. And I feel like all three of those that you're speaking to, that is one of the constructs that they were, they were living. You know, we're all connected. Mm-hmm. We're all one. And I, as you're sharing all this, one of the things that I, has been sitting in my mind um, lately, and partly because I just facilitated a receipt, receipt retreat with all women Mm. that was probably one of the most stunning retreats I've ever facilitated because every single one of those women came in with no judgment. No, I'm better than, you know, or you're better than. It was like eye to eye, even though these women were very different backgrounds, very different experiences. And the the beauty and the magic that was able to be held in that space because of that was just, I mean, there's no words. Like I get chills That's talking beautiful. about it. And I was thinking, I was talking to my beautiful friend on the way home and we were just talking about that with, you know, just with women in general. And and it's bringing this up as you're talking. We have this tendency, you'll see like the little memes that go around as far as, you know, straightening another woman's crown kind of thing oh, yeah. and, and supporting our sisters. And it goes with men too, but especially with women. And as you're talking about this with Christ, I'm like, no wonder we struggle with the idea of um, being able, no matter where we're at, to see each other eye to eye, to let that ego kind of take a back seat of there's no better than or worse than. It is exactly. just a journey. And I'm grateful for where I'm at. And I'm grateful for where you're at. And hey, let's, like you said, let's have a conversation. Let's have exactly. have a mastermind. And um, you know, one of the things that I feel like with Jesus, I work with him a lot. Like he's on my little, my council, right? I'll bring awesome. him in. I'll bring Mary Magdalene. I'll bring um, Mother Mary in a lot and we'll have conversations, right? Cause it's like, Hey, help me with what I'm supposed to do here. And in fact, this is a Magdalene Rose that's sitting on, oh, on it. our, on our table. But God to me is this co-creative energy. Yes. Not a codependent to where, to me, this is my, my filter and my, I'm just mm-hmm. going to caveat it with that, that it is this not dictated, this is what you should do. And if that's what I receive because I'm asking, then I get to check in with, is that what I want to do, right? Yes. This kind of this co-creative dance of of getting out of the way and being in flow with life. Yeah. I don't know if this is making any sense, but I loved everything that you shared because it is such an interesting dynamic of the constructs that have been embedded so deeply within the holding of the planet and then also the holding within our psyche. Yes. And those subconscious just constructs, constructs, one after another, after another, you know, you need to listen to these people. Jesus died for your sins and, you know, put him on a pedestal and let's keep worshiping his death. Exactly. And not actually what he was here to do and what he was doing, which was actually showing, he was showing himself what he was capable of. And in turn, also oh, awakening that What well, we us. can do. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. that's what I feel like I, that's the other thing that I feel. So I agree with you that I feel like. God is the source and I'm the creator of my life. Mm-hmm. And but I'm a co-creator with everyone else who has a part in my life. Yeah. And so nothing's ever going to just be dependent on my thoughts. Mm-hmm. And so there's a certain element of surrender to what I can't control and to have take full ownership of what is within my control. Mm-hmm. Um and I feel like it's funny that you that you brought up the trusting the flow cuz that came up um, I've been processing for the last few days, um, 
my money story, my love story, all the things that I felt I deserved or was entitled to or that I didn't deserve Mm -hmm. um, or wasn't entitled to. Um, and, and one of the things that like, you know, I was talking to Angie and, and she brought up, you know, the idea of being in the flow, no matter what, Mm -hmm. and, and accepting the flow of life. And I feel like that's where I'm kind of landing is this understanding that number one, um, I don't have to trust anybody else. Like number one, because they've got their own lens, their own perspective, their own creative power, no matter who they they are. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't, I don't have to worry about trusting them. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it was like, there was this idea that like, you can trust yourself. And I feel like there's, I'm landing in a place where I'm recognizing, I never know what I don't know. Mm-hmm. And so t- putting the trust in myself, like when I have ego and I have these faulty programs, that doesn't seem so like great either. And so where I'm landing is like, I can't trust the laws. Mm-hmm. I can trust that there is perfect order in the world right now mm-hmm. because everything is following the law of cause and effect. Mm-hmm. I can trust that there is perfect order in me because I am personally following cause and effect. So if I feel an effect, then I need to get curious about what the cause of that effect is. Mm-hmm. And because that's my experience. And, but bringing love to it is going to be the way that like I can bring love to other people going through a similar experience, you know? And so I feel like the flow where I think that there's a little part of my tiny little seven-year-old inner child that's like, no, the flow hurt me, please. You know, like I can't trust the flow. Um, I, I think that's, I think a lot of people might, that language sometimes could, when you've had difficulties in like real big traumas that, when you weren't like you didn't have power, like especially in those first seven years where you are absolutely powerless and completely Mm -hmm. dependent on everyone else. When you've got a lot there, like trusting the flow, there's huge resistance there. The flow was not kind to you when Mm -hmm. you received Mm -hmm. all those kinds of traumas when you're that little. And so coming into a new awareness that the flow actually is the laws Mm -hmm. and it's, you know, this energy that is always moving and coming into co-creation with it mm-hmm. and recognizing that like, I don't have power over these things that happened. Mm-hmm. And maybe I don't have to come into acceptance of them. Like they were a good thing. I don't have to like honor that people who were abusive. I don't mm-hmm. have to honor the event that robbed me of power. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I can do is just at least come into agreement with reality that it happened and leave it there, yeah. you know, and then own my power now. Mm-hmm. And, and so I feel like that's where, um, I feel like I'm landing in that, mm-hmm. like trust and trust in God is like, that's the only place that there needs to be trust. Mm-hmm. If there is such a thing as trust, you know, like, mm-hmm. and maybe it's just acceptance. I don't know. I think there's a part of me that I'm still working through yeah. The language around trust because there was so much that wasn't there. Yeah. That I'm not going to trust my faulty programming because <laughs> it gets mm-hmm. me into trouble sometimes <laughs> if I'm not thinking. <laughs> you know, and I'm I'm not going to trust other people's faulty programming, but I can trust that there is perfect order and I can get curious about that order. I all of that was beautiful and there's a few things that I would offer to that. One, have you listened to the four agreements? 
Yes. So I'm re-listening to it right now. You know, and it's funny because when we re-listen to books, I'm like, oh, I don't even remember this part in the book. And he's talking about how, you know, while we may believe or not believe that we chose into each experience, you know, depends Mm -hmm. on your belief, you are, say, religion or even abuse. You, let's use religion. This is easier to, you're a part of this because your family is. And at some point you do make a decision to have faith in it. Yes. Like there is a decision, some sort of a buy-in in it somehow. And in some ways you could, like the abuse, not necessarily, because um, abuse is a, t- a, t- a tough one. Right. And the irony is, is I would say 90% of humans have had some sort of abuse in their formative years. Totally. Which is really interesting because what happens then is you do create a program in the subconscious mind of, let's say it's, I'm not worthy because this is happening, or I'm not worthy of love, or I'm unlovable, then you have that program that's running through your life everything, until you yeah. clear it. This is why I love NLP, um, which is neuro-linguistic programming for anybody who doesn't know what NLP is. And with that, in my experience, I think absolutely we get to a point to where we can trust ourselves. Hmm. Because at the end of the day, everything is an internal Everything that is externally representing to us, we're seeing these things happening in our world. It's always a reflection of our inner state, always. And I think that that's one of the most beautiful things about life is it's always giving us feedback mm-hmm. and it always comes back to here. And so in as you're sharing all this, I think I agree that the, the laws of the universe are um, formative, but one of my favorite, favorite stories is about being an Aini that shamans practice and mm. an Aini is being in right relationship with self. And there's different stories. Have you ever heard of this? Mm-mm. No, there's I'm interested. Different stories um, that are told in the, in shamanism, by the way, is a hundred percent passed down through just oral language, like just verbally, it's not written down. Oh, wow. So it's really interesting. Some of the things that have been passed down through the generations, but there's stories about in Machu Picchu, there were, fi- there were fires. So they call on these shamans to come and help, you know, clear the fires, calm the fires. And all these shamans come in and they start drumming and rattling and doing all this around the land. And one of the female shamans comes in and asks for a hut to stay in. And she's in there for about a day and a half and she comes out and the fires stop. And they ask her, what did you do? Because they knew it was her that stopped, mm-hmm. that did something. She said, and she said, I went within that hut and I went within myself to find where I was out of alignment. Mm-hmm. And when I brought that into alignment, into Aini, when I did that within myself, it reverberated out into the land. Because when we get into quantum physics, when we get into the quantum realm, we do see that we all hold this amazing energetic blueprint and that right. we are connected to all things. So when we write things within ourselves, 100% does it reflect in our outside world. And so again, in my experience, and I feel like what I teach in the, even this podcast with how do you find your spiritual center, yeah. you get more and more into that place to where you do trust a hundred percent. Even if it's wrong, you know that it ha- it served a purpose. Right. Okay. I'm going to make this decision because this is what feels right right now. And maybe I'm making it from a place of fear, but okay, we're going to yeah. lean into this. <laughs> and then, you know, you, you experience what you, you experience, but right. th- in that context, then everything is just for learning right. and for our soul's ev- evolution. And in my belief, God and us are so intertwined that mm-hmm. as we grow, he, he grows again, I'm using he as an ambiguous, whatever. And as God grows, we grow. Like it is this. Well, and I do love the idea. And I think it's from A Course in Miracles where it's like that we're all literal extensions of God. Yeah. You know? And so 
Um, I don't know. I kind of like, it makes sense if we think of God as an ever expanding Mm -hmm. concept, you know, that consciousness is always growing. Consciousness is always expanding. We're always evolving. And I I don't think that we would never, I don't think we would ever cease to stop growing. And so, so the idea that there might be a finish line somewhere, like, I think that's one of the things that like, I feel like my, my mind can't fully grasp it, but I, my spirit senses it and says, what if like, there isn't? whatever what if there's it is, no arrival there's place? something, yeah, yeah, like that it's, it's cyclical, mm-hmm. you know? And, and that's the thing that I feel like letting go of the linear path is opened me up to like recognize that everything is a cycle and, yeah. and maybe one day, like, and I like the idea that, that one day I could get there where I would trust myself. But I think mm-hmm. right now, like I'm just so aware of my programming. Yeah. Um, well, we can clear that. that like, That's easy. And I think that like as the little inner child, like she just wants to feel safe. Yeah. And I think she just hasn't quite grasped that, like the reality that there's no such thing as safety. Um, law of impermanence, everything is in flux. Yeah. And, you know, and that's where that religious programming creates such a warm blanket mm-hmm. is to have answers to everything. Yeah. You don't have to, to have ask predictability. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, but to, to go out into the unknown, you know, that's where this little seven-year-old inside of me is like, but you don't know. And, mm. and but there's this part of this 40-year-old part of me is like, but we get to learn, yeah. you know, and I and get we to do bring this new things. curiosity yeah. and this new, um, yeah. you know, recognizing that like, you know, I, I may not be able to keep myself safe from getting hurt. Mm. You know, I may not be able to keep myself safe from... um experiencing pain again in some way, some major way. Like I have no idea what life has in store, Mm -hmm. you know? And so like, but I think coming into acceptance that, you know, whatever this thing is that God is like, that is connected to all intelligence, that Mm -hmm. is connected to the universal consciousness of all things. Um, there's still a way to tap into that, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, and I think that's the thing that like, I'm, kind of landing on with this idea of the flow and the idea of like, it's not something I've been able to digest yet, Mm. but I love the idea of it. Mm -hmm. You know, I love the idea of that. Like maybe one day I'll get to the point where I can recognize the programming so fast that I can sink right into the universal consciousness and recognize, Oh, it's just programming. Yeah. You know, but until that point, (laughs) Well, that's right. This is a journey, <laughs> you know? right? We get to go. And that's where, I mean, I've studied and tried to practice surrender for years. And I do think it's a practice. Mm-hmm. And I love Michael Singer's work. I talk about it all the time and how he describes, you know, him. flow is a river. And then it's the samskara is like boulders that are in our river because they're the trauma that has happened yes. that creates these filters or scars in how we see the world. And, you know, how we start clearing those. So then we have more of the mm-hmm. flow. And this retreat that I mentioned, I I'm, I mean, we're used to planning. We're used to having, okay, this is, you know, with a retreat, I usually, I will create the construct, like this is a container and then mm-hmm. the information will come in. Well, it wasn't coming in. Mm. And I was getting really pissed about that. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell is wrong with me? Why? And I was actually getting mad at God. Like, hello, we have shit to do. I have this book I'm finishing. Like I had all these things. And then through a conversation with a friend of mine, it was, um, what if you're actually 
being asked to just completely step into surrender and flow. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, shit. And that is what I was asked to do. And that's what I did. And holy cow, came to you the ease, the ease of it and mm-hmm. the experience of thinking that, because for me, you get to a point in your life. And for me, I've cultivated my medicine and my skill sets well enough that I can 100% trust on them. Mm-hmm. And so it was an interesting experience to just step into that space and let go and then fully trust in myself and in the information that was coming through. That's it, amazing. It was almost effortless and it and it was stunning. And um, I think that is the first real palpable, tangible, somatic experience that I've had with surrender. Because it is an interesting like, oh my gosh, I don't even know how to do this. How do we let go? Right. You know, and we we dance that dance and... Life is a journey, you know? And when you were talking about Jesus earlier, he embodied actually trust. He embodied the mm-hmm. the the knowing that he was co-creating with God and with the elements. Yes. I mean, you look at alchemy and how he was able to tap into the energetics of something and trans transmute it and transform it into something else. Exactly. Like that would take a full trust and surrender. Unwavering. Yeah, because when mm-hmm. the human psyche and human ego gets involved of who do you think you are to do this? Or, oh my God, I have no idea what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Right. Gets in the well, way, and that's what, you can't create. Exactly. And that's what I feel like that's what atonement is. Atonement is when subconscious, conscious, and superconscious are all fully aligned. And I feel like that's what Jesus showed perfectly. I don't feel like atonement was when he died on the cross. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like atonement is when... um he was in the garden, mm-hmm. you know, like that, you know, like I feel like, you know, that wine press or, yeah. you know, whatever that like that, that was part of it, you know, but I feel like um, him being able to maintain that identity of who he was without who he was, you know, letting mm-hmm. go of all the identity parts and, and just being the universal consciousness through what we think is the, the wine press. I don't even know. Yeah. You know, there's parts of me that I'm still like, well, and it, I, I don't know what I don't know. I don't know like what what is absolute truth or what has just been taught as absolute truth. This morning and, I was thinking about how when we allow ourselves to say, I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. I think I know these things until something else comes into my awareness that teaches me something different. Then it, right. then it allows for space and movement to actually have information to be brought in. Right. And atonement is at one minute. Exactly. You know, when you break the united down. united mind. Mm-hmm. And so like to me, it's like, you know, when you get the subconscious to accept, you know, and, and, and to be cleared of all the programming. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love Ho'oponopono yeah. so much. Like, it's my favorite method. Mm-hmm. Um, For those who don't know like, what Ho'oponopono is, you want to share? Oh, sure. So it's the uh, Hawaiian shamanic prayer. It's four mantras where um, the idea is that what you see, you take it on as yours. So if someone is being rude to you, you take it on as your rudeness and you say, I'm sorry for carrying this pattern of rudeness. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's those four phrases and you just, the, the premise behind it is there is only love in the world. Mm-hmm. And the only problems are the thought that there's a problem. And so if we're having a problem with somebody, like 
that's actually coming from within. It's not actually coming from without. Yeah. And so we can clean on it. So Ho'oponopono is the eraser Mm -hmm. that helps clear the program that's telling you there's a problem when this person is doing this thing, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Thank you. And yeah, say those four things again. It's the... I'm sorry. uh Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful practice. And a lot of people really, really love it. Um. Anyway, I'm like, where yeah. were we? You were talking about something else, and then you said Ho'oponopono, and I totally lost my train of thought. Where were we? Uh, let's see here. Usually I can recall it, and it's blank. I was talking about um, atonement yes, and yes. the aligning the mind and uh-huh. like clearing clear, clearing the subconscious patterns mm-hmm. and clearing those beliefs, and that it really just takes the light of awareness to help clear that mm-hmm. and um, and to change the vibration of it. Yeah. And... And so I feel like when we apply that love and gratitude, that that gives it to its highest vibration. I mean, I'm not the highest, highest, but you know, mm-hmm. of of the feeling. Mm-hmm. And and then uh, we have the opportunity to bring the subconscious in alignment with the conscious mind. And then there's this part of us that is connected to the all in all, the yeah. super conscious. Yeah. That when all three of those are aligned, that is the united mind. That is atonement. Yeah. And so I feel like Jesus was always showing us how to do that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Buddha showed us how to do that, mm-hmm. you know? And so there's these two paths. I would like consider myself a Buddhist Christian mystic, <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. and so. And as you're doing that, you're doing the serpent energy that's all Kundalini and it's crossing through. <laughs> so I'm like, that's funny. Oh, oh! I love this. I love this. I love this. And I think I want you and I were before we started this podcast. You and I were talking about the mother wound. Oh yes. And I think I'm I'm going to have to invite you back. Maybe around Mother's Day, you and I have a conversation around that because okay, yeah. There's some interesting pieces there that I would love to dive into. And so sounds like you're open to sharing your mother wounds, and so am I. So it could be a really cool conversation. But. Anyway, thank you. We probably should yeah, wrap up. So We're over an hour me. and this has been such a beautiful, I've really enjoyed this conversation and thank sharing you. space with you. And anyway, hearing everything that you've learned, is there anything that you would love to offer anyone that's kind of in the process of stepping out of religion to kind of assist them in finding comfort and just kind of navigating through? Um, I think I would just offer, you know, that it's okay for it to be scary. Yeah. It's okay for because we're leaving behind not just a religion, we're leaving behind an identity. Mm-hmm. Um an entire way that we've related to the world. And and I think, you know, sometimes people can get really judgy about when they see people struggling and they're like, "Well, see, you should have gone back to religion." Right. Because, you know, um you know, you've lost the light in your eyes or, you know, you're struggling. So that mm-hmm. must mean that that struggle is a bad thing. And and it's not like yeah. I as as painful as the journey has been for me, I would not give a second of it up. Mm-hmm. I, I would I would I'd not agree. go back. Yeah. Um, and I feel like it's worth it to push past the discomfort mm-hmm. um, because there does start to a comfort zone in the uncertainty begins to build mm-hmm. and then it opens us up to like so much more. And I, I feel like, um, it's such a personal journey. Some people throw yeah. God out. Some people keep God and, 
you know, some people keep Jesus and throw everything else out. Mm-hmm. Like whatever it is that there, if there's an anchor that can help be a bridge, I think it's okay to hold on to that. Yeah. You know, and um, I think it's okay to experience the full, the full weight of the fear mm-hmm. and just know that that's programming. That's all fear is. And I think what you're speaking to, you know, it's that death. You're you're yes. letting go and and allowing for what you used to be and who you used to be to die. Yes. And that that's is not really going to you. Be painful. Well, it was. It was yeah. your identity that you wore for as long, you know, it served right. you. Right. Exactly. And now you're you're letting it go. You're letting it die and um I did a as you're talking I'm like I'll mention this here. I did a meditation, a guided journey that actually is a death rite. Mm. So I'll put the link in on the show notes for anyone listening that feel like they're in that process of of death and needing assistance into allowing for that to be released. Because in shamanism, we have all these aspects, you know, and Mm -hmm. there's a part of us that sometimes is like, okay, this is coming up to be let go. And and this journey assists in releasing that and then bringing in a new aspect. One that's like, oh, okay, I'm ready to go. Let's do this. Well, and you know, I had a little period where like, I became so disconnected from everything that I became suicidal. Yeah. And for, and I, the more I talk to people, the more like, I hear, yeah, that mm-hmm. that that's really common, and I, and I feel like the thing that I've learned is to step into the despair. Yeah, um, well, it's the dark night of the soul. It sounds like that you're going through. Yeah, well, yeah. and a few times mm-hmm. too. Like, and and I think that like there's all this judgment around despair, but mm-hmm. despair is the key to freeing ourselves from those prisons of yeah. false hopes, and so like I. And that's what allowed me to like um, move past the suicidal part mm-hmm. of it is to allow despair to have room. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's even outside the church, there's so much stigma around despair. Yeah, um, that nobody holds space for it. Mm-hmm. Nobody holds. It's a shadow. Space for it. It's yeah. a shadow part of ourselves that it is like. Wait, we want to avoid that, like the plague. Exactly. And then when we do feel suicidal, again, I'm going to speak to this. A lot of times it's because there's a part of us that's actually asking to die. Yes. Not all of us. Exactly. Just a part. Just a part. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just one thing is ready to fully let go. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and so identifying that part instead mm-hmm. of taking it on as all of me. Yeah. But, but giving room for the despair, giving yeah. room to let the hope die. Our emotions are actually part of alchemy that we get to experience within ourselves. And so that's, and I've spoken to this in another podcast, but I think it's really important to speak to that again, that everything you're sharing, like when you mm-hmm. allow yourself to actually go into those emotions and allow yourself to fill it through, it will clear and cleanse. It, yes. it, it can. In a big way. Yeah. And there's freedom on the other side. And light and knowledge and awareness yes. that you didn't have. And and something about our ourselves gets fortified. And there's a new strength that comes yes. in that we didn't know we had. Yes, exactly. Because yeah. I feel like we've been conditioned and programmed for so long to avoid the darkness at mm-hmm. all costs. That the only way to get to that other side is through it. Yeah. And we have to be willing to sit with that darkness. And the way out is the way in. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, beautiful. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I just appreciate you. And this has been awesome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. This has been an honor. Wasn't that amazing? And such a beautiful conversation. I'm looking forward to hopefully recording another episode where we get to talk about the mom shame. Um, Because that was just a conversation her and I had started before the podcast that was really interesting. 
And for those of you that are curious in that meditation that I offered, if you head to my website and you go to the meditations, you'll see one that's death rights. And that one is the one that will assist you if you're feeling a lot of the things that she was talking about towards the end with just those parts of you that are that are ready to be let go, that are ready to be put to rest. I have a guided meditation that is a journey to allowing yourself to let go of that part of you that is asking to die. And then you get to claim a new part. So head over to my website and you can find that meditation underneath my meditations tab. And I just so honor all of you on your path, wherever you are, know that you are not alone. And I, gosh, I'm just thrilled to share this space with you. Sending you all so much love.